the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. On Tough Question Tuesday, happy to take your calls. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's see who's up. Stephanie, welcome to the program. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. Hi, Gino. How are you? Good. I need you to turn your radio all the way down. Okay. How can I help you? Well, I've been listening to you um, from coming from work to home, and I, I, uh, been going to this church in Denver, and uh, I didn't go this Sunday, but my son and my daughter and my grandkids all went. And uh-huh. They well, when I asked them what the service was about, they told me, and then they said they were. There was some LGBTQs to the right and LGBTQs to their left, and it was kind of awkward for them. And I told them, like, my son, my brother told me once uh, about 10 years ago, he said, well, we're not God to judge anybody, so you, you just call to love them and pray for them, which I have done, you know, ever since then. But um, I know God is against that, and I don't know... I didn't know what to tell him when he told me, so I was... Yeah, I think that there's several different things that we can talk about, just like I talked about earlier about compassion. And I can say, you know, the Bible actually does call on us to judge right from wrong and good from evil. So if 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 your children or grandchildren said, hey, is it okay to rob a liquor store? And you go, no, that's wrong. It's wrong to rob a liquor store. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. What the Bible forbids is hypocritical judgment or superficial judgment. Hypocritical judgment is the kind of judgment that says, you know, I think it's wrong to act out sexually, but then you're acting out sexually. So it's hard for you to convince anyone or me, I'm using you as an example, that if you're if you're guilty of the very thing that you are um, condemning, then then what people typically will see is a hypocrite and it doesn't have any value. Um, So what do we do? So what do we do? And I and I think it's part of what I talked about earlier where I said, hey, you know what? Um, Fallen people, unsaved people deserve and can and should hear the gospel. Now, does that mean if if homosexual or lesbian or or transgender or, you know, fill in the LBGTQ numbers and if they show up at your church and, and your pastor is saying one of two things? Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. Or guess what? Jesus loves you exactly the way that you are. There's nothing you have to do. Now, imagine if you show up and you've just robbed a liquor store 
and the pastor says, have you robbed a liquor store? Well, guess what? God loves you just the way that you are. Now, does God love you? The answer is yes. Um, does he love you even though you've robbed a liquor store? Yes. But is there an expectation of repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus for grace and for mercy in your sin? I think that the answer is yes. And so, you know, what do we say? Um, I think that that's part of what we say. We say, hey, look, we are broken. Hey, guess what? Unsaved people are a mission field. Hey, guess what? Um, Never be wise in your own sight in the sense of um, remind people that the solution to, to my own sin was a savior and the solution to your sin is a savior. Okay. I just um, was wondering if the church had, like, confronted them or anything like that. <laughs> well, and it, it's hard for me to know. It's yeah. hard for me to know. I mean, obviously... Um, because doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible, too, like, if, if your brother's sitting, you come to him, and then you come with elders of the church, too, and then... Well, they don't, imagine if they don't repent of that what they're doing or whatever. Then they just they well, get it, you know, they can't come to the church. Well, see, and that that's part of the point because if you already go on record before anything, if you go on record and say we will never ever ever ask you to repent of homosexual behavior or sexual immorality then we have to ask and answer the question, well, what will you ask them to rep- repent from? In, in other words, Jesus called sinners to repentance. And so imagine if the church, if there's a church that says, we'll never call you to repentance because we don't think what you're doing is wrong. Like, but the church does call them to repentance, right? Well, if the church is, is doing their job and they're preaching the gospel... Because Jesus calls needy sinners to repentance that leads to salvation. That's the point of Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Mark 7, he went on, he says, what comes out of a man's heart is what makes him unclean. For from within a human's heart or men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit. It's a long list. Lewdness, envy, Mm -hmm. slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So here's what Jesus is affirming, that there is something wrong with us. Mm -hmm. And that that God, in his grace and his mercy, has offered a solution to what's gone wrong. But imagine... If, if there's a sign out in front of the church that says, we'll never judge you. Now, and again, remember what I said. The Bible says we have to judge between right and wrong. We have mm-hmm. to judge good and evil. We have to judge sinning Christians in the church. What the Bible forbids is unjust judgment, superficial judgment, hypocritical judgment. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I just, um, I didn't know what to tell my kids. I, that's all I told them is 
you know, just you have to love them and pray for them and hope right. that they and, come and, to and the see, knowledge of God. And, exactly. And if loving means anything, it has to mean... And if they get saved, right, then right, the Holy it, Spirit would work in their hearts and then exactly. they will realize that, that they're, not, they're not living right for God being how they are. Well, loving means a willingness to do what's in that person's best interest. Mm-hmm. Is it in a person's best interest when they are in rebellion and disobedience to God to say, you're in rebellion and disobedience to God? Mm-hmm. Or imagine again, now we go back to my famous robbing the liquor store. <laughs> Some, someone's robbed the liquor store and they've come up and, and you say, you're not going to judge me, right? No, robbing the liquor store is wrong. What you did, what you did is wrong. Mm. So, so how do you, how do you make it right? Well, take whatever you did back. I mean, whatever you stole, give it back and ask God, plead with God to forgive you of your sin mm-hmm. because of what Christ has done. So, hey, thank you for your call. Okay, thank you. Have a good night. This is Gino Dracy. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. Can a church or a pastor or a Christian who's giving the gospel, is there such a thing as a gospel with no repentance? That's 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 a tough question on Tough Question Tuesday. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. And I wanted to talk a little bit about repentance. And, um, you know, on Tough Question Tuesday, if you want to join me, it's 303-873-1935. You know, what is repentance? And is it... Is it a necessary part of um, salvation? And many understand the term repentance to mean a turning from sin, regretting sin, turning from it is related to repentance, but it's not the precise meaning of the word. The Bible, in the Bible, the word repent means to change your mind. And the Bible also tells us that true repentance will result not just in a change of mind, but in a change of heart, which of necessity will also result in a change of action. And so um, when Jesus said, uh, bear fruit in keeping with repentance— And don't begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And so, you know, Jesus talks about repentance. He begins his ministry with that word. The Bible also tells us that true repentance will result in a change of heart and action. And in summarizing his ministry, Paul said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. 
In Acts chapter 26, verse 20, think about that statement. It says, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So what's the connection between repentance and salvation? And the book of Acts focuses on repentance in regards to salvation in Acts 2.38, Acts 3.19, the list goes on and on. So to repent in relation to salvation is to change your mind regarding sin, and then the solution to the sin, which is Jesus Christ. And um, followers of Jesus, they're familiar with this word. But sometimes they get confused about it. The the Greek-English lexicon provides an excellent definition of that common Greek word. I'm going to give out the the number 303-873-1935, metanoia. That's the word that's usually translated repentance in the New Testament. It means to change one's life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude in relationship to sin and righteousness. So repentance isn't, quote-unquote, to change your mind about being a liberal or a conservative or an independent or a this or that. Now, we might use it that way, but it would be an inappropriate use from a biblical standpoint. We find in its meaning a conviction that produces action. And so if a person who basically says, I'm sorry for what I did, well, what's your plan to do it again and again and again and again? In Paul's description to the Thessalonians, he said, you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. These saints displayed three elements of repentance. They turned from their sinful behavior. They turned to God. And listen carefully. It wasn't just a turning from the sinful behavior and a turning to God. It was a turning from the behavior to God with a desire to serve him. It's impossible to turn to God without turning away from sin. Now, again, what does all of this have to do with everything that we've been talking about? It goes back to the earlier question that John MacArthur brought up. Is part of the point of the gospel, is part of the point of the gospel to encourage people to turn from their sin and to turn to God and then the desire to serve them. So let's ask that question. Is it possible to turn to God without turning away from sin? The answer, I think in part, when we ask and we answer the question, people who continue to live in habitual sin and think that they're saved, they should be warned They should be warned that Jesus saves us 
from our sin, not in our sin. He saves us from our sin. One of the most gifted preachers of the 17th century was a man named Thomas Watson, who defined repentance as a grace of God's spirit, which enables a sinner to be inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Now, again, this is 17th century Thomas Watson Puritan stuff. It's a, the grace of God's spirit, which enables a sinner to be inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. So repentance moves a human being to recognize the wickedness of his or her sin, which produces godly sorrow, which produces this contrite and broken heart that David talked about in Psalm 51, verse 17, where, where the Lord says that, that this that a broken and a contrite heart you won't despise. So when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, the sinner acknowledges their sinful nature, confess their sin, and then make a heartfelt plea for God's forgiveness. Scripture says that a truly repentant person hates the sin that they once loved, and they're ashamed of it. This is the problem that we face from a cultural standpoint. Where the person who's enmeshed, entrenched in sexual immorality, they're invited by the popular culture not to hate their sin, but to love their sin and not be ashamed of their, and to refuse to be ashamed of it. In other words, when the popular culture says the biblical belief that sexual immorality is wrong is a myth. It is a religious construct. It is a social construct to make you feel bad about what you're doing. But according to the Bible, according to the Bible, the Bible offers a promise to the wicked who forsakes his way and turns to God. Repentance produces a genuine desire to be victorious over sin. And then a longing for the day that one day you'll be delivered from your sin. And so repentance produces change. Not just in your mind, but also in your heart and then in your life. So intellectually, repentance sees sin as an affront to God. And the sinner understands that his sin has separated him from God and caused enmity with God. And God's word instructs him or her to turn to Jesus as their only hope. Because you can't cling to your sin and to Jesus at the same time. And that's why, that's why, that's why repentance is such an important component in this thing we call salvation. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gina Geraci. So glad you could join me on this Tough Question Tuesday with your Tough Question 303 
873-1935. We've been talking about a lot of different subjects. I'm going to talk a little bit more about repentance, but I have to. There's a story that's just come up from the conservative brief that I have to share. And again, this isn't a bastion. Um, they're quoting, obviously, the conservative brief, but they're quoting, of all people, NPR, uh, Nina Totenberg, where they basically say, Nina Totenberg says, quote, it was pretty jarring earlier this month when the justices of the United States Supreme Court took the bench for the first time since the Omicron surge over the holidays. All were now wearing masks. All that is except Justice Neil Gorsuch. What's more, Justice Sonia Sotomayor was not there at all, choosing instead to participate through a microphone that was set up in her chambers. Now, Justice Sotomayor has diabetes, a condition that puts her at high risk for serious illness or even death from COVID-19. She was the only justice to wear a mask on the bench since last fall when amid a marked Decline. This is Nina Totenberg. In COVID-19 cases, the justices resumed in-person arguments for the first time since the onset of the pandemic. Nina Totenberg writes, Now, though the situation has changed with the Omicron surge, according to court sources, Sotomayor did not feel safe in close proximity to people who were unmasked. Chief Justice John Roberts, understanding that in some form, asked the other justices to mask up. They all did, except for Neil Gorsuch, who happens to sit right next to Justice Sotomayor on the bench. His continued refusal since then has also meant that Sotomayor has not attended the justices' weekly conference. Now think about this. This is at the Supreme Court of the United States of America where the Chief Justice asks a fellow justice to wear a mask after Sotomayor complains, and he said no. The answer is no. I'm not going to do it. Isn't that interesting? Pandemic guidelines entered by the Center for Disease Control and Prevention note that either type of diabetes, you know, di- um, can can result in severe illness. And it says Gorsuch's continued refusal since that has also meant that Sotomayor has not attended certain um, meetings. Now, it's interesting. Two of the of the of the justice, the conservatives, Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, sided with the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers at facilities that accept federal Medicare and Medicaid funding. And regarding Roe, one legal expert recently predicted that the Supreme Court of the United States would decide to overturn the seventy three. Uh, ruling after the court heard oral arguments in the Mississippi case. Um, Frederick Morton, who's an executive fellow at the School of Public Policy and Professor Emeritus at the University of Calgary, noted in his op-ed, he said, quote, first, the Constitution is silent on the subject of abortion. The word doesn't appear in the document. 
The constitutional right to an abortion is a judicial creation. In Roe, the majority declared that such a right is protected by the right to privacy. These words also do not appear anywhere in the Constitution. So, again, the mask mandate has reached the Supreme Court. It's just going to be interesting, interesting, interesting to see how this thing unfolds. 303-873-1935. There was a couple of other um, things that I wanted to just touch bases with you, Um, even though it's obviously... Um, tough question Tuesday, 303-873-1935. The uh, Supreme Court, speaking of the Supreme Court, has been hearing oral arguments today on the subject of, uh, of, of a Christian flag being flown. It's really a case that's trying to draw the line between private speech and government speech. And so the Supreme Court is set to rule on a case that has wide-ranging implications on the issue of free speech and, again, religious speech, government speech, or speech in public settings. So earlier today, the nation's highest court heard oral arguments in Shirtliff versus the city of Boston. And by the way, this is posted at ChristianHeadlines.com, ChristianHeadlines.com. It says, uh, the case was born when the city of Boston, Massachusetts, rejected Boston resident Hal Shirtliff's application to fly a flag outside Boston City Hall because it was described as a Christian flag. Shirtliff is accused of violating the First Amendment and the right of free speech. In 2017, Shirtliff and his Christian civic organization, Camp Constitution, asked the city for a permit to raise the Christian flag in honor of Constitution Day and Citizenship Day, which was September 17th. Between 2005 and 2017, Boston permitted the raising of 284 flags by private organizations on a third flagpole outside of City Hall. Now, 284 flags were given permission. Some of the permitted flags celebrated other countries, other cultures, other causes. Out of all of the flags that ask permission to fly their flag, how many do you suppose were rejected? Only one. Only one. The Christian flag was the only flag that was rejected. So in turn, Shirtliff sued Boston, and now his case is, well, before the Supreme Court. And representing Shirtliff is our friends at Liberty Council, which is a religious freedom um, organization devoted to protecting Christian values. You know, we are so grateful to God for Liberty Council and Alliance Defending Freedom. But it says, according to uh, Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver, he told CBN News, quote, this case is so much (laughs) 
bigger than a flag. It really involves whether the government can open a forum for a lot of different voices, but shut down the door for the Christian viewpoint. Unquote. So while Boston describes the third flagpole as a public forum, the city's lawyers were expected to argue that the case is about government speech. In other words, the flagpole speaks on behalf of the city of Boston. And so Matt Staver, again, telling CBN News, said, quote, that defies logic because Boston allows two competing Chinese organizations or individual groups to put up opposite flags, both of the Chinese community, one pro-China, one anti-China, one pro-communism, the other anti-communism, Staver explained. Well, Boston can't be pro-China one week and anti-China the next. Pro-communism one week, anti-communism the next. That's classic free speech in a public forum. That's not the speech of Boston. So Shirtliff's case has drawn the support of some unlikely allies, including the Biden administration, the American Civil Liberties Union, a group that typically opposes religious displays on government property. I'll have more on this when it unfolds, and maybe even Matt Staver on. 303-873-1935. We might look into that, Jim. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. Kevin, welcome to hey, the program. Hey, yeah, hey, Gino. Listen, I have a tough question. Okay. Like, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God knew us before we were even in the womb or formed. Well, Gino, how about there's, there's a, a, a bot, a torso, there's a person who actually has two heads, and uh-huh. they showed the picture, two different persons on one torso. And then, how about people that are born without legs and arms? Right. I don't get it. Well, uh, yeah, part of the answer, and, and, and I'm not saying this is a complete answer by any stretch of the imagination. But part of the answer is, yeah, we live in a fallen world. Uh-huh. Is is it true that we're fearfully and wonderfully made? Yes. Does that mean there's no such thing as terrible birth defects and deformities? <clears throat> and the answer is, there's. it's obvious that there's birth defects and deformities. And you mentioned just a couple of them. I was thinking of a man named Nick Vojacek, who was born without arms and legs, <clears throat> And he tells this amazing story of growing up and how difficult his life was. You can imagine, you know, not having arms oh. and legs. And at one point, sure. he he thought that he would commit suicide, that he would just, in his tub, roll over, inhale the water, and just die. And uh-huh. he couldn't bring himself to do it because he knew how much his mother loved him. And someone asked him the question you're asking me. Why did God allow you to be born without hands and legs. And his answer struck me. Kevin, he said, maybe Jesus thought that I would be in a more effective evangelist without arms and legs than with arms and legs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is a wow. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yep. So, so does God 
allow certain things to happen? The answer is yes. God allowed Satan to do everything he wanted to Job except kill him. Yeah. And, and you'll remember Job's reaction. Even if he slays me, I'm going to hope in him. And imagine even in your own story and how God, or how, dare I say, Satan tried to destroy you time after time after time after time. And God said, we're not going to destroy him. I'm going to save him. Yep, that's true. And so, so I, you know, I'm sometimes forced to, to these two passages, which you know by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. And so the ultimate answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I would be lying to you if I said I understand why certain people are allowed certain defects and other people, you know, are Olympic athletes. Right. Yeah, that's true, Gino. Yep. We'll have to get a question. That answer on the other side will understand. Yeah, uh, and and so yeah, part of the challenge that we always need to be able to do, though, is to say, for those who suggest that God isn't loving, you're wrong. For those who suggest that God isn't good, you're wrong. For those who suggest that God isn't merciful or compassionate, you would be wrong. Even when right. the evidence seems to indicate the opposite. Where you go, wait a minute, look at the sickness and disease, wait a minute, look at death, hey, wait a minute, look at the horror of being taken captive, you know, uh, by the synagogue in, in Texas, look at the horror of, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And remember Jesus, and remember the, the, the tough question, that your tough question is related to in John 9, the disciples ask. Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then the words of Jesus were, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now we go back to your original statement. How do you explain two heads and one torso? How do you explain blah, blah, blah? I don't have a good explanation. I don't even know... If how to say this happened so that the work of God could be displayed in their life? Yeah, I don't. I don't even know how to answer that. Other than this answer might seem insufficient, but it's the only one I got. There you go. Well, I I I'll ponder that. Believe me, I will, Gino. Because the two heads on the one torso, they have a picture of it. It's uh-huh. two different people, and yet this one torso, two different people. Wow, you know. isn't it amazing? And again, here we are, we're living in this world where, in a, in a very real sense, it, does that mean that evolution must be true because this is the product of random processes, or are there, is there something genetic at, at, the, at that level where we were, that clearly, even having the question, we understand something went wrong. Something went horribly and terribly wrong. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. My young niece is Down syndrome, you know, so. And you know what? You it. see so few Down syndrome babies. I did a funeral uh, about a year ago of, of a Down syndrome child who lived into her 50s. And as you know, 
because you have a Down syndrome family member, what a what a joy, what a pure gift from God they are to humanity. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. All she does is love. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, Gino, thank you so much. No, I th- appreciate thank- your honesty. Thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the air. And again, one of the things that I uh, see less and less of at the grocery store, in church, when I'm speaking, are parents with Down syndrome, with a child with Down syndrome. And... um, and of course, again, we're living in a popular culture that um, that doesn't really believe that there's a God and that human beings are made in the image of God. You know, one of the interesting things about um, this person who uh, went to our church and who had Down syndrome and was such a wonderful gift, Nikki, she was such a wonderful gift by God to our church. And uh, one one, uh, Christmas, she gave me a Christmas tie. And it's interesting, at her funeral, I discovered that that Down syndrome is caused not by something that's gone away, but something that's added. In other words, that syndrome that we call Down syndrome is caused by an extra- chromosome, and and the chromosome is number 21, normally each parent contributes half of the genetic material found in each of the 23 chromosomes found in every cell in our body. And in the case of Down syndrome, one parent contributes more than the normal one half. And so the extra genetic material changes the way the baby's brain and body form. And those who have Down syndrome are normally recognizable because there's key traits, key characteristics. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website, one in 700 babies, or about 6,000 babies per year, are born with Down syndrome in the United States. And so, again... It's interesting to me when Moses objected that he wasn't fit to lead Israel, the Lord said, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? It says in Exodus chapter four, verse 11, it would fit the spirit of the, the, the passage to include any person. The people we talked about earlier, people with disabilities, people with Down syndrome, the Lord, the Lord is the creator. The Lord is the creator. Does he have a plan and purpose and disability? I have to believe that he does. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow, taking your calls, answering your questions. Three
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.